Hey, Joel here. It's Dining Around Broadcasting from the capital of American gastronomy, San Francisco. We have food, we have wine, we have travel, we have all sorts of things going on. And well, today, I'm thrilled to be able to be part of an event that has to do with Monaco and certainly to speak with a gentleman who has written a book about Monaco. Uh, he is Mark Brody. He is the author of Making of Monte Carlo, A History of Spectacle and Speculation. No, Speculation and Spectacle. My apologies. Published by Simon & Schuster. Mark, thanks for being a part of the show today. Thanks so much. Pleasure to be here. Listen, I, I want to talk about this concept because Monaco is this is this jewel on the Mediterranean that many of us who are not sort of, well, there are a few of us who are part of the sort of elite of the world. Um, they know about it. We see it in magazines and pictures and we hear it about the Grand Prix and all of the parties. But, but tell us about, about its inception. How did it come about? Because it's this jewel. And that's precisely the point. The fact that we've heard about it if we haven't actually been there mm -hmm. is really tells the story of Monaco itself because it really was the first place, I think, where the stakeholders of this resort realized that the story was always more important than the actual reality. So okay. people, because it was so tiny and so remote, people always experienced it first as, as a dream, as some kind of imagined place before they actually got there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why the history matters. So it starts because there's this place, Monaco, it's about half the size of Central Park, so it's tiny. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're on the verge of bankruptcy. This is in the 1850s. And they have one asset, which is they can set their own laws, so they set um, some advantageous gambling laws. <laughs> but they realize, um, the people running the show there, that it's always got to be about something more than gambling. People need to want to come back and return. And so any profits that come in from the tables, they put into restaurants, hotels, uh, spa facilities. So those things that kind of sound obvious to us, if we know Vegas or Dubai, right. that's really invented there. It's mm -hmm. the invention of the whole resort model. That's incredible foresight. And, and also it's, I don't remember, I don't know what the word is, but, but I mean, it must be difficult to see money coming in and not spend it in other ways, not say, woo, profits, like to reinvest it within the infrastructure uh, has such great foresight in order to keep the economy going. Exactly. And I think that, that, again, you have to emphasize the desperation here. They're so small. Their survival is so uh, uncertain always because it's why don't they just get annexed by France or Italy mm -hmm. who are both next door. And so it's always about, you know, they just have to be one step ahead. And I think that's, you know, how you get invention mm -hmm. innovation. Well, and they have a, um, when you think of the people who are there from the outside looking in, there is this glamour factor as well. I mean, you certainly wouldn't want to set up any red flags or any of the surrounding countries going in and changing it. And certainly the romance that has come, um, with the with the royalty, with the royalty factor. We love that, and we really do. And um, it's just because it's fascinating, I think. There's a celebrity factor there. Yeah, and that was another thing where they were really clever. This is, again, in the late 19th century, is uh, the casino managers, they were always going after royalty, aristocracy, nobility, uh, any celebrated name, and they made the place look like it was the kind of place where royalty would want to go uh -huh. to make them comfortable. But, of course, this was always done precisely to get a mass clientele. Okay. People think of it as this elite place and it is pre presents itself as such, but the profits were always about numbers. Right. People don't always remember that. It was really about getting what we would call middle-class tourists mm -hmm. in the door. Right, and I guess if you were thinking about something that is a, a splurge to do, uh, going to a place like Monaco, it sounds glamorous. It is glamorous, I shouldn't say it sounds glamorous. It, it is, it's a glamorous place, but lying on the beach, you have the beautiful Mediterranean in front of you, all of these gorgeous yachts in the harbor, all of those different factions. And you look up on the hill and there's this fantastic casino and gorgeous restaurants. 
you do as the individual feel as though you're really part of something. And I appreciate that. Yeah. And again, that was this idea of it's not just gambling. It's not just escaping the laws of your home country. It's actually that to do that makes you part of an elite uh-huh. to actually have the wherewithal to get there. Cause it's kind of remote. And then to say, I don't really care if gambling's illegal in France, I'm going to do it here. Mm-hmm. That makes me feel glamorous. They kind of sell that whole escapism. Right. And yes, it is totally amplified by the beautiful natural setting <laughs> and the architecture and all the rest, mm-hmm. which they then becomes the long-term story. It's, they kind of say, it's not just about the gambling. It's, it's about, you know, spa facilities, the sun, the mm-hmm. sea, all that kind of stuff. Well, and nowadays, we, from the United States, we can always fly to Nice via whatever airport connection and hop on a, on a helicopter for 140 bucks and, and get to Monaco or the train or rent a car. There are ways to get there, but that has to do with our transportation. Just like information is, is the service has vastly changed. But when it first became in vogue, how did people get there? And was it that much? Did you have to come on a yacht? That's such a great question because that is it's so inherent to the actual, so, so kind of fundamental to, the, to its success, is that the, uh, the founder of, of Monte Carlo, Francois Blanc, in 1868, uh, persuades, shall we say, the French railway to run the line uh, into Monaco, which was kind of quite controversial at the time. Mm-hmm. We don't quite know what means of persuasion he used, but he was certainly... Uh, well, if it's the French Railroad and they're not France, why would they? Exactly. But thrilled and that they did. And he then later became a very big uh, donor to all sorts of French causes and, <laughs> and, and uh, infrastructure. So, uh, But they only really started to make a profit after this train had, had made its way uh, to Monaco. So only with... And so that's why I think things like the Grand Prix mm-hmm. and aviation displays and all sorts of races, anything to do with, with motorsport, with mm-hmm. uh, technology, gets celebrated there because it's what made them survive in a sense. Right. Transportation is so key to their whole reason of being. And also, it really is transportation in those aspects of transportation, even though it's only somebody who is very wealthy that would have a race car, anybody can enjoy the spectacle just like anybody can enjoy the america's cup yacht race watching it or the beautiful yachts in the harbor all of those individual things can be enjoyed by all of us just for showing up but the actual winners are you know on that different different level too that's fascinating yeah and that's where i put my historian's hat and say that's 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 always been the case over the centuries whoever moved the most uh with with the greatest speed and the greatest ease Mm -hmm. that was always a marker of being noble or elite you know your time was more valuable than everyone else's and so that has a very practical basis of you know i need to get places quickly but for people who aren't in that social class to look at that is always something that's exciting right whoever has the latest and greatest means of transportation seems to enthrall us across centuries and no matter where what place you're in as well well this is one of the reasons why i liked watching the the sort of the lifestyles of the rich and famous or the fabulous cribs or whatever it is i don't particularly want a gold-plated refrigerator but for some reason, I like to know who has them. And even the whole yacht concept, uh, there are people who have these fantastic yachts, but it's always the most exciting or the most glamorous or the one that looks like a cataran, but it's not like there are always these things where you say, I want to know what's behind that velvet rope mm-hmm. because I'm fascinated by it. And that's actually kind of what got me to the book is people always ask, are you a car guy? And I'm like, well, no, not really. And they're like, oh, well, you must be a big gambler. And I said, well, no, actually not mm-hmm. really. I just like weird things. And I think <laughs> this is a weird place. And I want to see behind the yeah. rope, just as you said. I mean, it was totally about investigating this, this glamorous place. But the best and most impossible kind of weirdness, because you can exactly. go and you can line. The, how much time did you spend in Monaco itself? Quite a bit. I lived in Nice, uh, you know, for economic uh, reasons of course. Uh, and then took the train in. 
Uh, but I was able to, you know, there were great archives there that I was in there for, for several months. And then I would, I would hang out at the casino. I would kind of bet the minimum at roulette, which I think at the time was uh, 10 euros on red. Okay. And I had my budget for the day, and I tended to break <laughs> even by the end of the day. And would just kind of hang out and watch around like an anthropologist, just uh-huh. see, the, see the scene. And Who so came in and what they, yeah, were, exactly. what they were all about. Yeah, and soaking up the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff. And so it does have atmosphere. Not a bad research trip, my colleagues tell me. No. <laughs> <laughs> and did you present your information as, as a teacher at Stanford then? Yeah, that's right. That's, uh, I'm actually teaching a course right now on travel and and travel writing okay. and so uh, just yesterday actually I was I was uh, hopefully not boring them to tears with my own work <laughs> they, we've been writing reading a lot of other great stuff so then it's like oh and by the way here's me <laughs> that, that's also interesting we'll see but being contemporary and being on point are very important things when it comes to the travel industry mm-hmm. and certainly when it comes to writing and talking about it I look forward to reading your book I have not as of yet read it but I but I absolutely will and I hope everybody else does grab a copy of it uh, Mark Brody the author and it is Uh, Making of Monte Carlo, A History of Speculation and Spectacle. It's published by Simon & Schuster. It's available at local bookstores around the San Francisco Bay Area and the country. And certainly you can grab a copy on one of the other services as well, depending on what's convenient to you. Uh, But I'm sure if you're in the Bay Area, there will be copies at places like Omnivore and Green Apple and and Book Passage and Kepler's and Copperfields. And I will stop naming all of these. I'm glad you did. We've got to support our our indie bookstores. Well, they're important. We did a great event at Book Passage. Oh, did you? I know there's copies at Green Apple. So okay. Did you do the Travel Writers event at Book it Passage? Was just, it was just me and uh, myself and a woman named Mary Pylon who'd written a great history of uh, the, the game Monopoly. Awesome. We just had a chat at Book Passage down the ferry building. I think it was, great, it was a great day. That's great. See, there you are. All of those important things. Uh, again, if you want to find out more about Monaco itself, uh, you can visit Monaco at visitmonaco.com. This is a, a fantastic destination and uh, grab a copy of the book read it and if you're if you are inclined to be something somewhat of a magnanimous individual uh get some tickets and give them to somebody you love and and go there and experience it for yourself otherwise read the book and enjoy it because it's it's going to be pretty fantastic i'm joel more food wine and travel next time on dining around you can follow me at joel riddell on twitter and at dining around and always check out diningaround.com for more food wine and travel thanks for listening